Welcome back to the My Mysterious Bible Podcast. I truly apologize for the long hiatus. I had to set aside the podcast to maintain my grades and my scholarships in seminary. When I wrapped up my last two classes, I intended to jump back in with both feet, but that was not in the cards. My brother passed away unexpectedly, and my mother was hospitalized immediately after the funeral. We are still trying to adjust to a world without my brother in it and figure out how we will move forward in a world that is fundamentally different for our immediate family. Now back to the subject at hand. We left off with a look at the Hebrew word Elohim. In the previous episode, we learned that most of the time, Elohim is used as a name for Yahweh, the sovereign, eternal, and supreme God who is the creator of everything else. This time, we will look at some of the other ways it is used in the Bible. The first one we will look at is deities besides Yahweh. The God of the Bible is the creator of all the other Elohim. I know for some of you this will be shocking, and you may not want to go down this rabbit hole. Isn't our Judeo-Christian belief strictly monotheism? Not exactly. Truth be told, there isn't one term that can encapsulate the God of the Bible. A mix of monotheism, that would be the belief that there is only one God, and henotheism, which is Greek for one God, and is a term coined by Max Mueller to mean devotion to a single primary God while accepting the existence or possible existence of other deities usually lesser deities, created deities. Mueller stated that henotheism means monotheism in principle and polytheism in fact. What does the Bible have to say about the existence of other gods? We're going to begin with Deuteronomy 10:17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Being that the God of gods isn't so grand if there is no other gods. If God is a God of gods. That kind of tells us that there are other gods. The Bible is pretty clear that other Elohim exist. He's the Elohim of Elohim in the Hebrew. We're going to find out that that's a very broad term. Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. This is one of the Ten Commandments written in stone. It would seem kind of silly to have a commandment against a figment of the imagination. This is Daniel when uh, the archangel, or the angel of the Lord, has been uh, waylaid. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by me against these except Michael your prince. Quote Michael Heiser, Yahweh is an Elohim, but no other Elohim is Yahweh. That is to say, they do exist, but God is species unique, and he is in he cannot be compared to these others. He's in a class by himself. He's incomparable. No other no other Elohim comes close to him. Next, the term Elohim can be used to identify idols in the image as the image of God, other gods. In the ancient Near East, there was a mouth-opening ceremony for an idol. An animal was sacrificed in such a way that its last breath was ex exhaled upon the idol, giving it a form of life in the eyes of the people who were carrying out the ceremony and making it a fit home for a god to inhabit when it wanted to. Remember that 
in the ancient world, and this even continues on into the New Testament in some degree, but in that world, that wind, breath, and spirit are all the same thing. The Hebrew word ruach means all of these things. Wind, breath, and spirit. And the concepts cannot be separated in this culture. When they saw a person or a land animal exhale its last breath, the spirit had departed. And in the Greek in the New Testament, the word pneuma, which you know we get pneumatic from, as in using air tools. So air, wind, and spirit are all synonymous even in the Greek. So this is something that carries over into the New Testament. Next, it can mean all other denizens of the spiritual realm. Angels, good and bad, demons, the sons of God in Genesis 6, the territorial ruling angels of Genesis, and even ghosts, as we see when the spirit of Samuel gets called up from his rest in the land of the dead. And I'm going to go ahead and read that. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his, surgeon, his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know that Saul has done what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me, and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned away from you, and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So when this witch in the cave of Endor summons up the spirit of the dead prophet Samuel, she the word in the Hebrew there is also Elohim. So that gives us a big range for this word. Next, depending on which English translation you use, it may be translated as human judges. 
I utterly reject these translations as being accurate. And let's look at an example. We're going to read Exodus 21.6 from the ESV. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. That's like a spike. And he shall be his slave forever. And now let's read it from the King James Version. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. Instead of God here, they're judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. So really the only main difference other than the style and the, the time of the language is in the King James Version, the translators for some reason decided to translate Elohim as judges. And I, I really have no idea why they would do that. I don't know of any, there may be, but I don't know of any, any of the intertestamental writing or early church fathers that would have held this view. That, that could be possible. So if anybody has any information on that, please send it to me. But as far as I know, this was the King James translators just uh, deciding Elohim didn't mean God in this verse and meant human people, which is kind of um, goes completely against the nature and the meaning of the word. Say, so let's give one more example from Exodus. And this is again is the ESV. And it's Exodus 22, 7. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. Okay. Now we'll go from, to the King James. If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of the man's house. If the thief be found, let him pay double. But if the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether he put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. So once again, we get Elohim uh, translated into human people, judges, instead of God. And it, I don't know why. And... Of course, over time, this has kind of become, you know, especially like King James only people, this will carry a lot of, of uh, weight for them that it, Elohim must be able to mean this, but uh, that is not the meaning of the word. And so this lives on as a tradition because the King James Version carries so much historical weight, and rightfully so. It is a fantastic, almost first of its kind translation that has influenced every English translation since then. But that doesn't make it an inerrant translation. There is no such thing as that because it's done by people and we're all fallible. Frankly, when the Hebrew linguistics and historical context are considered, there is no reason that I know of to translate Elohim as human judges or rulers here. And like I said, uh, a lot of modern translation committees, like the ones behind the ESV or the NASB, have opted for the classical meaning of this Hebrew term as a supernatural being. We have seen over these two episodes that Elohim mainly is used as a name for God Almighty, Yahweh himself. 
It's also used for me many other types of spiritual beings, including small g-gods and even the ghost of Samuel the prophet. It also includes every type of being who is native to the spiritual realm. Between those two extremes of God himself to a disembodied spirit of a human. There are too many terms for these spirits for me to list them all and explain and and explain each one in this episode, but they include God with the big G, gods with a little G, angels, cherubim, seraphim, sons of God, aka watchers, and many others. So here is the payoff. Elohim is a place of residence term. All Elohim are natives of the spiritual realm and not our physical realm. The Bible is clear that they can interact with our world, but they are not native to it. And here's some food for thought. There are three rebellions that have made a mess of the world. Every one of them had Elohim going astray while interacting with humans and the physical world. First was a serpent in the Garden of Eden. Next were the sons of God taking for themselves the daughters of men in Genesis 6. And third, the Tower of Babel slash Deuteronomy 32 rebellion, where the sons of God were supposed to guide the, uh, the men or mankind into guide them back to a relationship with God. And instead... We get them dividing up into nations, and these sons of God seek worship for themselves. They become the gods of these nations, the gods of Egypt, the gods of Greece, the gods of Babylon. So this is, again, every time those three main rebellions, every it, the Elohim just cannot seem to resist the temptation that comes with the physical world. And it's kind of a strange thing to me, but, you know, because they are, when they manifest into the physical world, they, they seem to have the same struggles we do. Okay, and of course, like I, I've covered in the past, those uh, three rebellions are covered in episode six or eight, if you are not familiar with them. So that gives us a pretty good idea that Elohim is any being from any kind, ghost, demon, angel, archangel, whatever type of, and other ones we don't may not even know about. Any kind of net being natural to the spiritual realm is an Elohim. And that concludes this week's episode. Share it, to, share it with others if it's been enlightening and a blessing to you. Thank you. And I will be back soon. Probably I'm going to shoot for a bi-weekly schedule. Um, just got a lot, a lot of real life stuff going on right now. So. so say some prayers for me and this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of My Mysterious Bible. Please rate us on whichever service you're using to listen. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, please email me at mymysteriousbible at gmail.com. Join the My Mysterious Bible Facebook group. That concludes this week's episode. Have a blessed week.